The following podcast is a Dear Media production. How do I ask my boss for a raise? I'm so jealous of my coworker's promotion. I just don't know what to do. Is there a good way to brag about my accomplishments? Careers are complicated, and there are so many hush-hush topics we're told we can't talk about. That's why you have the Career Contessa podcast. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and each week I'm joined by experts to help you overcome your workplace woes with actionable advice that you can use today. Subscribe to the Career Contessa podcast and make progress in your career every Tuesday. This is Amanda Hirsch from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. You might know me from Not Skinny But Not Fat on Instagram, where I spend my time talking about reality TV, celebrities, everything happening, and pop culture. I also talk to some of our favorite celebs and reality TV stars. We talk about what's going on. Tune in every Tuesday and just feel like you're talking with your best friends in your living room. You guys, I'm so excited. Jay Shetty is here. You guys all know him. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a podcast host of On Purpose. You're a chief purpose officer at Com. I want a title like that. And <laughs> and you're former monk. Yes, Amanda, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I've been looking forward to this I know, for a long too. time. I love I bumping into you at events. I know. I was so grateful you came to my show last year. I, I did come. I brought my mom. You know, when you have a plus one, you're like, who is going to come? And you yeah. have to find like the most fitting person, the most deserving person for that <laughs> event. And I was like, my mom, you know, it was such a such a lovely experience. Well, I hope my mom doesn't see this because now <laughs> she's going to be like, why have I not been your plus one to an event? <laughs> you're not taking her to stuff? Not yet. No, no, I have. I have. I've mm. taken her to award shows and things like that. And she loves it. But sometimes I'm like, I don't want to waste her time and yeah i don't want it to be a crazy night but i realize she loves it now does she get the life Is she, she i don't think she does fully. Yeah. she doesn't fully she's you know it's so far away from her and i often think about this for my friends back in london too i don't often get to use some of the access or perks that i get over here for them uh. so they don't always get to see it but last year it was my best friend's 40th birthday and he was my best man at my wedding he's been my longest friend and so i took him to see a football match soccer match at Manchester United in Manchester, which is our team. And it was the best time I'd ever had because I took my friends from London. We got to, you know, I got to spoil them at this amazing facility and venue and meet the ex-manager who's a legend and an icon. And so it was one of the best experiences of my life. So I think Wait, sharing- Wait, why don't, why don't you get the same perks there? Well, no, no, no. I mean, like, I don't, I live in LA. Right. So, so I, my friends aren't always over, so I don't get to do cool right. stuff with them right. in LA all the time. Yeah. I don't get to take them to stuff. So when I'm back in England, I have to really make a deal out of it. But do you feel like you're bigger here in the States? No, no, no. I, I Not in it, that way. No, no. I meant it more in the sense of like, because I live here yeah, and I'm yeah, always yeah. doing stuff here, yeah. I don't get the opportunity to like say, hey, do you want to come along to this? Because my friend's like right. a 10-hour flight away and right. you know, has to jump on a plane. So I mean, yeah. Do your friends get the life that you're living though? Like the celebrity, do they care about that well, stuff? Well, they pull my leg. Yeah. yeah? They give me a hard time. Oh, they that. do? Yeah, yeah. In a fun way. I think. I get it. I think it's good. The British banter keeps you humble and keeps you grounded. And, oh, that is true. The yeah. banter. Right. Because it's different for me. My friends are all like obsessed and know that I've been like into this my whole life. Yes, yes. But for you, you've had such a big transition in your life yes absolutely did you ever think you'd be doing what you're doing now do you know what I think about it often I don't even know if I know anything about what I thought I'd be doing <laughs> yeah. I'm like I have to pinch myself all the time my mind is blown every single day yeah like you couldn't have and predicted this I couldn't obviously. have predicted this and I feel so grateful for it because so much of it has come organically so much of it has come because of the kindness and graciousness of so much of our communities that support us so much of it has come from me trying to do something that I was hoping would just help one person. And now it's transformed into something that is hopefully helped and supported lots of people. So it's beyond me. And I failed at lots of things in my life. And this is something I'm doing well at. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Well, but let's talk about becoming a monk because that's sure. a big deal. You'll be like 80. So I'm going <laughs> to talk about those three years. Happy to talk about it. So you went to business school. You were like into that kind of life. Well, I just thought, I've always talked about this. So when you're born into an Indian family, especially in England, I'm, I'm sure it could be true of the experience here as well. Your parents want you to do well at school. Like doing well at school is the number one priority. 
And if you're considered smart as an Indian kid, you should end up doing medicine or engineering. And if you're not doing medicine or engineering, basically everything else is second tier. I was not doing medicine and engineering, not because I wasn't academic, but that stuff just didn't, I didn't gravitate towards it. And so I was settling to do business. And if I'm completely honest at the time, I probably wanted to get into art direction or art and design were fascinations and passions of mine, but I was doing the safe option of I'll go to a place called Cass Business School, I'll study management science, I'll focus on a few of the things I like and love, but at least this will get me a safe job. Uh -huh. And so I was on the path to get a safe, good, reliable job to not let my parents down completely. And this is in India at the time? This is in London. In London. Yeah, so born and what, raised. Yeah. So you're born and raised in born London. Born and raised in London. And yeah, your parents kind of, are? My, both of them are Indian yeah. originally, but my mother was born and raised in Yemen and oh, moved wow. to London when she was 16 years old. And so she speaks fluent Arabic and grew up with the Yemeni culture. Oh, wow. And my father's from Southern India and moved to London when he married my mom. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you only went back to India. Yeah, I would visit as a kid. Like I went when I was nine years old, probably the first time. And then when I was 14. And so we'd go now and again yeah. to, to India. But I'd never lived in India until I became a monk. But you're saying still you describe like growing up, it wasn't like, oh, I was just living in London. You were an Indian living in London. Like that's a different yeah, in expectations, the sense of, different life. Yeah, I feel like having Indian parents. Let's yeah. put it that way. Like, you yeah. know, your parents uh, have certain expectations that maybe all your friends don't have expectations of. Right. And so, yeah, parents were like doing good at school. Yeah, doing Not good. allowed girlfriends. Do well at not school. Not allowed girlfriends? Not allowed girlfriends. You're not allowed. So I had girlfriends and I never told my parents. I just couldn't talk about it. You, oh you can't God. share Until it. when? Ever. <laughs> What? <laughs> what until now until my parents are finding out right now no. <laughs> like until you're serious about marriage or literally something? it's the strangest thing and for boys and women women girls correct but women get it way women get it way harder yeah. like than than the guys because for women it's like you're not allowed to talk to guys and then it's like well why are you not married now why does no one want to marry you <laughs> and so like you know a woman gets into her 20s and then her mom's like well well why are no boys interested in you and yeah like, mom you told me not to talk to guys for like my old childhood. But did you get girls? Like, were you? I was dating. You I was were dating. dating? Yeah, yeah, I was dating. Just my mom didn't know. Okay, Sorry, so you mom. were in, <laughs> you were in college and did throughout it, were you like, what am I doing? This is not my purpose. Or was it only when you were done? No, it wasn't. It wasn't that at all. I think I actually was having an amazing life. Like things were great. I was working hard at school. I was doing well. I always believed if I could get good grades and still have fun, then that was the balance I wanted in life. And I actually wasn't spiritually inclined whatsoever. And the only thing I was fascinated by was people's stories. And so I would read autobiographies and biographies across my whole teenage years. So I was reading everything like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, all the way through to David Beckham and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So I was fascinated and always have been. And which is why I think the podcast today uh -huh. is so true to me because I've always wanted to study people's lives. And so back in my teens, I didn't know that that could be a podcast. Right. But I was studying the lives of people that I admired and I would read about their sacrifices and the decisions they'd made and how they made choices. And so I loved hearing about people's journeys. And so once I was invited to hear a monk speak and my university with different societies and different clubs would have athletes and entrepreneurs and CEOs and different people invited to speak. And my friends had got into spirituality. And so they said to me, Jay, why don't you come and hear this monk speak? So actually, before that point, I hadn't really been inclined yeah. towards, I mean, I didn't even know what monks really were. Yeah. And so I was coming at it from a point of view of like, well, I hope this is not a waste of my time because I'm inspired by people who went from nothing to something, yeah. not nothing to nothing. And what's this? You're like, gonna... where's David Beckham? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. De and still, till this yeah. day, where's David Beckham? Where's David I love Beckham? David Beckham. Yeah. I know you should get him on the pod. I've been, I've been working on it. I've been waiting on it. I'm, yeah. I'm ready, David. You have some angles. I mean, yeah. you're both British. Yes. Yes. We both, what... both have good hair. I hope. <laughs> both have. No. Yeah. I love David Beckham. Been a big fan since I was a teen. You know what's so wild is when you give birth, the hospital just lets you leave with the baby. It's truly mind boggling. You're like me with this. Like you think I know what to do. And then you see the nurses like swaddling that baby with that like towel looking blanket thing. And you're like, no, no, no. And honestly, you guys, when Noah was born, I watched a lot of tutorials and I didn't get it. And you know what? That's OK. You're not a bad mom if you don't know how to swaddle like a what are they called? Labor and delivery nurses. OK, that's why swaddles are made now for dummies. OK, Dreamland baby has amazing swaddles 
They're sponsoring the podcast. Love them for this. They have a weighted swaddle, which is one of their most popular products. And don't worry, you're not going to have to like flip and flop and roll and tuck because it has Velcro. It closes. We're good. Okay. We don't need to learn how to swaddle like professionals. A weighted swaddle is super helpful because as people know that have had a baby, babies are difficult when it comes to sleep. And sometimes you have to keep your hand on them and you're going to fall asleep standing up with your hand on them. Guess what a weighted swaddle does? It makes them think that there's weight on them that's coming maybe from your body, but it's not. It's coming from the dreamland baby weighted swaddle. I highly recommend it. Um, And you guys can save 20% off right now. Go to dreamlandbabyco.com and enter my code not skinny at checkout. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping. This offer is for new and existing customers. Dreamlandbabyco.com. The code, not skinny. If you guys don't have a Thrive Market membership, like listen to this because you really do need it. We are subscribed to so many streamers and so many things in our lives that we're like, oh, I'm subscribed to Showtime, HBO Max, like all the things. Don't cheap out when it comes to your food. Your food is the most important thing in your life because it's feeding your body. You know what I mean? Just be good to it, okay? Feed it good things. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients. And what I love the most about Thrive Market is like, as you guys know, I've had a lot of stomach issues over the past couple of years, have tried different diets. And literally when you go on Thrive Market, you can filter out by diet, but not only the big ones, not only like vegan or vegetarian, you can filter out by paleo, keto, even low FODMAP, which was super helpful for me when I was trying the low FODMAP. I bought so many specialty items too that literally are for people that are trying to eat low FODMAP. It's just wild how specific they get. They also have great deals. You can, you know, bundle and save, buy more and save. They really have amazing deals and I save on every order and it's just really great for those specialty items for your home. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and you can get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. So just go to thrivemarket.com slash not skinny for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash not skinny thrive market.com slash not skinny. Okay. So you see the monk, no inclination before, but after I went to this event and I mean, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but you go to something where you were expecting nothing and you predicted it would be a waste of time, but then you hear someone and you see them and you experience their presence and you think, wait a minute, why haven't I been following this person my whole life? Wow. And It sounds cheesy, but it was true. Like I went there looking for nothing and walked out feeling like I'd found new meaning in life. And it was because this man who had an Indian accent, was dressed in robes, was from India, was speaking about things in a way I'd never heard them before. I'd heard about people talk about becoming successful. I'd heard about people talk about doing well for yourself. But I'd never heard someone say that the greatest gift in the world is to use your gifts in the service of others. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, that's interesting. I'd never heard that before. And even more than that, I think it wasn't even what he said. It was how he was showing up. Like he was in London feeling totally comfortable, dressed completely alien-like. And he didn't have any sense of anxiety or nervousness or confusion in how he held himself. And I think when I've looked back, I've always reflected that. I think at 18, I'd met or heard about people that were rich and famous and beautiful and strong and powerful, but I don't think I'd met anyone who was truly happy and content. And I think when I was in his space, I felt this person's happy. And I was like, I want that. And that's what I felt. I was like, I want that. That feels like worth pursuing. That feels like Uh worth getting in life. And so how long after that? So I spent every summer and Christmas vacation traveling to see him. So I would go and spend a month, a couple of weeks, whatever So you connected there like after the- I went and spoke to him straight after the event and I said, you're amazing. How do I learn from you? Almost like networked with a monk. And I always describe (laughs) it as simply as that. Like it was just, it's like anyone going to an event today and going, wow, the speaker really had an impact on me. Let me go and introduce myself. And so I did that. And he said, well, why don't you come follow me around at all these events in London? So that week I followed him around. We got to know each other. And he said, well, why don't you come see me in India? And so I just started spending any spare time I had wanting to learn from him. And so I'd learn how to meditate with him. He taught me about ancient philosophy. He would teach me the practices. Wow. And so when I graduated, I was so attracted and addicted to the life that he'd introduced me to 
that I couldn't imagine living any other life. And so I decided to trade in my suits for robes and become an actual monk myself and live as a monk myself. What's this man's name? His name's Goranga Das. I still know him. I was just with him in India. Oh, last really? Week. Yes. And we've stayed in touch and I see him all the time. I still visit the monastery I lived at pretty much every year, apart from the pandemic. What do they think? They, of everything going on. on one end, they don't care at all, which is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And on the other end, they're so supportive and encouraging yeah. and just so happy to see me happy. And they always remind me of what really matters in life. And at the same time, give me space to express myself. So, yeah, it's a really beautiful relationship. It's so wild, Jay. Yeah, it is wild. Have you been like that always? Like What's a that? person that leans in? Like I, le- I consider myself in. quite an extremist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like that. Like if I get into something, You're I get in into it. it. Like right now I'm into pickleball <laughs> and I'm into pickleball. I have. Are you gear. a little late on that? That I, I feel like that, I mean... I was late, but not, not when a, you see me play. So <laughs> You're saying you got good. I got good. You yeah, got yeah, yeah. good. So, so right now I've got like the pickleball gear. Yeah. I've got the fancy, uh, what's it? I don't know what it's called. That's terrible. But whatever that it's called. That is terrible. The paddle, the pickle. The, the, pad- the pickleball the, paddle? The, the, the racket, whatever yeah. it's called. Like I, Yeah. So when I get into something, I really lean in. Wow. When I got into cold plunging a few years ago, like I was just doing cold plunging. Okay, now you, you were starting it. Yeah, yeah. You started that on time. Yes, yes, yes. So that. Wait, like, do you post yourself cold plunging? I don't post myself okay, good. cold plunging. Good. So you well, won't you be have offended. A, is that an ick for it's you? An, I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like a meme. Like, are you cold plunging if you're not posting? You're right, cold plunging right, right, and like, yeah. who really cares? Yeah. Fair to enough. see you cold plunge every day. I don't know. I don't know. I don't call, I don't post. So I wouldn't know. You don't post. Good. I don't post. I'm good. Me and my wife go together. So it's a, it's a fun couple's activity. Yeah. Do you do it every day? No, 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 no. I, oh, when no? we were really into it, we were doing it three or four times a week. Uh-huh. Recently, I've been bad. I have not been doing it. It's such an LA yeah. thing now. It is. Is it? Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. This it's is like, this. You're pulling my wait, leg like you? my British friends now. <laughs> They're like, yeah, Jay, I'm you're telling so you, I have some British in me. Yeah. Do you have a cold plunge at home? No, no, no. I don't. Oh, damn. Yeah, okay, so you know. haven't advanced to the next. Yeah, yeah. We have. I'm not at that level yet. You're not at that. And I'm level not. Yet. I'm not brave enough to jump into a barrel oh. filled with cold water. <laughs> yeah, it's not as. It's also not as chic. Yeah, but I'm an extremist. When I get into something, when I get you get in, so you leaned in. What did your family think? They think you were crazy. Yes, absolutely. Like all of my family was like, you're going to waste your education. You're wasting your parents' investment in yourself. You know, you're letting your family down. A lot of people were like, well, no one's ever going to marry you. Like, how are you going to make money? What if this doesn't work out? There was a lot of anxiety and insecurity. And I love addressing that because I think now people are always like, this is a cool part of your story. But then it was not. It was like, you have gone mad. Yeah. Like, you have gone insane. Like, you've been brainwashed. That was the perspective. People were like, Uh, oh, maybe someone's like, you know, put a hex on you and you've kind of gone in this direction. And to be honest, for me, I was looking at the other option, which was going into the world of work and thinking, I don't want to do that. Like that feels really meaningless for me at the time. I mean, yeah, what you just said is so important. Like now it's such a cool part of your story. But like, think about your kid coming home, shaving off his beautiful hair, you know, putting on that robe and being like, goodbye. Like you would Freak out. Freak out. Freak out, yeah. And my extended family was like, this is the worst decision. And even my friends, like, I had a lot of guy friends come up to me like, well, dude, does that mean we can't talk to you about women anymore? We can't, you know, like, right. what can we talk about? And then people coming up to me and some of my friends, I mean, this is how ignorant society was then. Like, some people came up to me like, are you gay? Like, have you been closed? And I was like, what? Like, how is that even? But that's how ignorant people, this is 2010, you know, when the decision was made. And so it was so fascinating to me as to the kind of negativity that it drew. And so I kind of did it despite all of that. No one was saying, Jay, this is going to be the best right. decision yeah. of your life. This is going to lead to you don't even know what. Yeah, like, yeah, this yeah. was no, a no wild one was thing to do. That. No one was saying that. And you still did it. I did it because I've, from that decision, I got so much confidence because I learned what it felt like to do things against the grain. Ah. I learned what it felt like to do things that felt right internally, even if it made no sense to anyone. And I think I learned to trust that intuition and that inner voice have you ever had it before was this kind of the first time i think i've had it since i was 14 that's when i first started really hearing it and i think for a lot of us we've been trained to ignore ourselves i think a lot of us have ignored our inner voice our inner guidance our intuition for so many years and i think for me 14 is when i started listening to it and that point at 21 when i made that decision i think that gave me a lot of strength and courage to always listen to it and so i even till this day I'm always trying to listen to it because I feel it can't lead me wrong. So did you have to give up your phone and talking to friends and everything? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't. You had to switch off. Like all your possessions fit into a gym locker. 
So everything you own, you get two sets of robes. You wear one, you wash one. Uh, you get a little mat that you sleep on with a sheet. And then sometimes in India, you need a mosquito net to keep the mosquitoes out so you don't get eaten while you're sleeping. And you don't have a place that you're, that's yours. So there's no bedroom. You sleep in a communal room where everyone just lays their mat down. And, and only men. And only men for that monastery. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and the summer mixed. No, not mixed, but there are uh, female monks as well. So you didn't see females for also like... When we would be out on the streets doing philanthropic work or charity work or things like that, you would in the villages see women, of course, but you weren't interacting with women on a daily basis. Did you do any traveling with the outfit and everything at that yeah, time? Yeah, like yeah. the dude? Yeah, so we went to... We did a trip to Scandinavia where we were traveling and backpacking and teaching meditation. We... Were, I went to the UK and still spent a lot of time back where I'd grown up. So what happened when like your family and friends first saw you in the Oh room? my gosh. Like my, I remember my granddad at the time was mortified that I'd shaved my head. Yeah. And he sat me down and he gave me a whole lecture about how I should never do that because hair was seen as a sign of wealth mm. in tradition and seen as a sign of prosperity and getting rid of it. Like gave me a full traditional introduction into hair which i had no what's idea what's the reason behind the hair shaving just not to have anything it's it's well first of all the best thing is you don't have to do your hair in the morning so yeah. there's no basically i mean and i'll give a deeper the, the deeper more thoughtful reason is you lose sight of your physical self so you're trying to dissolve this understanding of yourself and your identification with the body so that you can recognize that there's so much more to you internally there's no mirrors in the monastery and so you don't look in a mirror so i would only look at my reflection when i'd be out and about and you're looking into a reflective surface to see what you look like. Did you ever had the outside moment looking in like, wait, what am I doing? I mean, definitely had it not not when I was looking at my reflection, but I definitely had that when things were like hard and difficult and challenging. And you'd be like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, right. Life could have been so much more comfortable. I remember there was this one moment where we had been traveling across South India and so we were staying in this kind of warehouse and we didn't have showering facilities, but we'd been told that there were communal showers that were whatever, like a hundred feet away or, or, you know, a distance away. And I'd woken up in the morning, everyone had woken up before me. So I was already guilt tripping myself that I'd woken up late as a monk. And then I found out that the showers are far away, but I walked outside and it was pouring down with rain, like bucketing down. And so I run to where I've been told the showers are, my feet are getting muddy. I'm, I'm running in the mud, getting to the showers. I get to the showers and then open the door and realize they don't have any roofs either. Like they're open air. Oh, so it's like, was, you're yeah, basically in the rain. I'm stuff. in the rain anyway. I should have just stayed where I was and showered. And so I'm sitting and I'm going, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. But I think it, it really created a sense of resilience and adaptiveness that I don't think I would have had if I didn't. Because I went into it saying to myself, I am going to do whatever I'm asked to do and see how it impacts me. And I think, being that adaptable and flexible is a massive strength I see today because I think I would never choose to do that to myself. So when you have to do it, your mind becomes more malleable. And now you recognize that you're better at adapting to things that don't go your way. Do a lot of people come and go from the monastery or was your situation unique? Most of the people that I joined with over there are still there. Uh -huh. There are a few people who do leave. It's not taboo to leave. Did but you know you were going to leave after a certain I, amount of time? Honestly, if I'm completely honest, I did it thinking I was going to do it for the rest of my life. Stop. Yes. I had come to a point of material exhaustion at the time where I thought to myself, you know, I don't want to be in relationships anymore. I want to dedicate my life to mind control and service. I want to spend my time figuring out how to purify my heart. And I think I'll be able to achieve all of that if I'm here. And I lasted three years. So, you lasted three yeah, years. Yeah, so lasted what was three the years. What was the breaking point? Realize, you know, the whole point of monk training is to learn about yourself. And that's the goal of it, to really gain a deep sense of self-awareness. And sadly, my self-awareness led me to realize I'm not a monk. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm very rebellious. I'm independent. I have certain things that I like a certain way. Monk life is about dissolving all of that. And yeah. So I don't have the purity to live as a monk for the rest of my life. But there was so much I gained that is so practical to live in the real yeah. world. And so it was very humbling. It was very, very humbling to realize after three years that my dream was never going to be fulfilled because it wasn't my path. Right. Were they upset with you? I was upset with myself. Well, you felt like... I felt like a failure. Mm. And I projected that they might be upset on me because they'd invested so much into me. They'd taught me so much. And I was sitting there going, 
I felt like I'd failed. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. And now I was thinking, and this is what's happened. When I went back to London, everyone was saying, well, we told you so. Oh, we knew you wouldn't make it. You know, now everyone's moved on. Oh, look at your friend. They just got promoted. Look at your other friend. They just got engaged. Look at, look at where everyone's doing so well, but look at where you are. And so I, I felt so. Well, look behind. at me now. No, <laughs> <laughs> I felt so stuck in behind. Oh wow. when, I, when I came back, when you so came I, back from being a monk. Yeah, I was giving myself a harder time than probably anyone else yeah. was giving me, as we do. But your family was probably so happy to see My you. My mom and... is the sweetest person in the entire world, and she was just happy to have her son back and take yeah. care of me and all the rest of it. And but now, I, when you see monks here on the street, are you like? You know, I'm like, I'm like, you're like, hey, I'm like, yeah, please don't judge me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you still own that part of you? I think you have to. I mean, I am so grateful that I had that experience. Like I said, I still go back every year to spend time with the monks. Yeah. I find it to be so grounding for me in the world that we both operate in. I find that to be my grounding, my anchor, my roots. Like it gives me such a great sense of foundation and purpose that I don't want to lose ever. At the same time, I'm accepting it's a part of my journey. It's not who I am anymore. Right. And so I'm allowing myself to be who I am today and giving myself permission to be who I am today. And I think that's the beauty of, I think what we all trying to do as we grow older, where we accept that we have lots more to ourselves than one thing. Like, right. I think our identities were quite singular when we were growing up. It's like we wanted to be seen one way. And now I'm like, well, no, it's a part of me, but it's not all of me. Do you think you influence people to do that? Like yeah, what you I, did? people have said that to me. A lot of people have come up to me and said, Jay, I want to be a monk. What do I do? And the first thing I always say is, as long as monk life is not an escape from reality. Mm. So becoming a monk is not about saying, I don't like the world and therefore I want to run away. It's more like saying, I think there's something for me to gain there. So that's mm. step one. Step two is being ready to accept how intense it's going to be and being okay with that. It isn't yoga mats and people meditating and having blissful experiences it's hard work it's it's challenging it's it's internally grueling too you're looking at your looking at the dust within and you're looking at the deepest reflection of yourself which can expose so many challenging things about yourself and then i always say to people hey yeah here's here's the address here's where you go if you want to go that's wild yeah okay so you would you want to do it amanda should we should we go one day i can't even meditate I'm sure you can meditate. Okay, maybe I can. Yeah. Well, I sound like one of those people who says everyone can sing. Yeah. Yeah. I I tried. I was in college. I was I I I was being silly. I maybe I maybe could. That's when you tried when you were in college. Yeah. Oh wow. How did it go? It didn't go good well. Wow. How did you get giggling. introduced to it at college? I was giggling. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing that you giggled during meditation. I giggled through my meditation. That's amazing. Maybe I, I love could that. Could do it. Yeah, I think maybe I could. could. Yeah. I could do do you meditate often? Yeah, every day. Every day. Every day. How long? Usually about one and a half hours. One and a half hours. Yeah. So sitting. Mine is sitting. Doesn't have to be for everyone. Yeah. Mine is sitting. We have a little meditation space in our home. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife meditating. Together. She's a better meditator than me. So she starts earlier and finishes earlier because she wakes up earlier than I do. So is it first thing in the morning? Yeah. So she's up at like 5 a.m. every day. And by the time I walk in at like 6.15, She's, you know, on her way to finishing. And so I'm walking in there feeling guilty again. That I woke Do you up put any like music on? Yeah, my wife will put on some beautiful like flute music or nature sounds. And sometimes we'll have a crossover time where we are meditating together. But hey, sometimes I'm traveling like I am right now. Right. I'm meditating in a dark New York hotel room. So you do it even when you're traveling and everything? I do it even when I'm traveling as well. And I'll have, you know, maybe I'll split it up like 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes in the evening. Maybe I'll split it up into little blocks of 15 minutes. Like I have to be completely adaptive now because I don't always have a one and a half hour block to do it in. So now it takes many different forms. Did your wife learn this from you or was she into it before? She got into it after me. She didn't learn it directly from me, but yes, she learned it from the tradition I've shared. I've taken her, we go to the monastery together. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. And so she's taken, you know, part in it. Like I said, that actually sounds nice. It's beautiful. She's a better meditator than me. So what you get more antsy. What does that mean? Like when someone's better at it? She's just natural. I'm the guy who had to work hard at all this stuff. And she's someone who's just naturally, naturally good at it. Yeah. I mean, you give naturally, like you give the vibe that it does come naturally. Well, hopefully that's proof that it can work on anyone. So I honestly cannot believe my skims fits everybody thongs are still fitting me pregnant right now hence fits everybody is literally not a lie skims don't lie you guys 
Okay. They don't lie about anything. They don't lie about their sweatpants being the best sweatpants I've ever bought in my life. Honestly, like I can't believe it's been so hard for me to get dressed pregnant. And like the two pairs of joggers that I have from Skims have been life-saving. I've been wearing them like they are tattooed on my body. Okay. Also, they have amazing bras. I haven't found an underwire bra I loved in years. And my boobs need more support now than ever because guess what? They've tripled in freaking size. So if you want an underwire bra that's actually comfortable, skims, you guys. Okay. They have amazing, amazing things. Their Fits Everybody collection is amazing. Their t-shirt bra from the Fits Everybody collection is amazing. Wear it under a t-shirt. Your boobs are going to look natural and amazing. And I wear it every day and I need it in every color. Straps are adjustable and also their sizes, they range in, in wide sizes. So from 38 to 46H in their bras. Honestly, you guys, some of my favorites are the t-shirt bra, like I said, the no-show online demi bra and the wireless form t-shirt bra. And if you haven't yet, you can get free shipping on orders over $75. Everything's available at skims.com. Let them know I sent you and get me some street cred with Kim. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and my show in the drop down menu. What do I always say to you guys? You're like, Amanda, where do I get all the things that I need for the thing that I need? Macy's like literally one-stop shop. That's where you can get it all. Whatever holidays coming up, whatever sporting events coming up, whatever like bash you're throwing, you can get it all in one place. So Valentine's day is coming up. You guys it's on Wednesday. It's tomorrow. If you're listening to this podcast on Tuesday, like you're supposed to, when it first comes out anyway, I'm not mad if you listen to it later. Okay. Get it. You have things to do, but if you do have a partner and you want to be cute and you want to surprise them for Valentine's day, Macy's is making it so easy with their uh, gift finder that I've told you already about. It makes it really easy to shop for your loved one or shop for you. Shop for you. Valentine's gift for you. So Macy's.com slash gift finder. Also, you can get 25% to 40% off underwear and lingerie from Calvin Klein, Gap, and more top brands. Everything I mentioned and more is on Macy's.com slash gift finder. Also, if you use the gift finder before, you know that you can really filter it out by like type of gift, the amount of money you want to spend. So don't forget Macy's.com slash gift finder. Valentine's Day is uh, this week, you guys. So hit it up. Again, there is 25 to 40% off underwear and lingerie and a lot of other goodies on Macy's as always. One-stop shop for everything. Macy's.com slash gift finder. Macy's.com slash gift finder. Poppy, poppy, poppy chulo. You guys, listen, soda has become a dirty word. If you're ordering a soda nowadays, people look at you like you're crazy. Like, oh my God, you're so unhealthy. And guess what? Soda doesn't have to be unhealthy. Poppy isn't unhealthy. Poppy has clean ingredients. It has five grams of sugar or less. It has 25 calories or less per can. Okay. Not those cans that you're like, Oh, and then it's like per sip. This is per can. Okay. So you could feel really good about sipping it after your workout with your salad over ice to enjoy a dinner, make it fancy, whatever. There is no wrong way to drink poppy. It has fruit juice in it, sparkling water, and prebiotics. So it's like helping your gut also. That's really nice. It's actually reinventing what soda is. They have amazing flavors like strawberry lemon, cherry limeade, orange, grape. And they also have our classic soda shop flavors that we all grew up with like cola, doc pop, and root beer for you weirdos that like root beer. Um, seriously though, their dog pop flavor tastes just like Dr. Pepper. Say hello to soda's new era. You guys, the future of soda is now, and it's called poppy shop poppy. That's spelled P O P P I for 15% off on Amazon with code not skinny. So making it super easy for you guys on Amazon shop poppy, get 15% off. The code is not skinny. You can also find it in retailers nationwide. So you get back to London, you get a real job though. Well, not straight away. So I get back to London and I'm struggling because I moved back into my parents' home because I don't have any money and can't pay any rent. And I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. Yeah. And I'm really scared and I'm really insecure about 
going back to the workplace and I was really worried about how do I explain what I've done and how, Put on does, your resume, how does it like... go on my resume <laughs> and how does anyone going to relate to that? And I'd say the first month I just kind of spent in depression where I was just going back to eating chocolate, which I missed and I love. So a big slab of Cadbury's dairy milk uh, and then started listening to Drake again and <laughs> and then started watching How I Met Your Mother. And, no, and stop. So, like, it was just, I was just going back to all my bad well, habits. I mean, great we consider show. them bad? Good habits. Okay. Drake, How okay. I Met Your Mother and No, Cadbury's I want to know milk. for real, is that bad? No, in the sense of like when you've just come from the monastery right. and you <laughs> right. haven't in done anything like that. Yeah. yeah. But hey, do I, I love eating chocolate. It's a good habit. Yeah. Okay. I love listening to Drake. It's a good habit. And How I Met Your Mother is a great show. So uh -huh. all, all good habits. But it was interesting because I kind of stopped doing everything I'd done. Right. And then I was like, wait a minute, like, I don't need to sit in this discomfort. I have the tools to get me out of it. So I started applying for jobs. But kind of what we were saying earlier, I got rejected by 40 companies before even an interview because surprise, surprise, no one wants someone who's been a monk on their resume. Yeah. It's like, what are your transferable skills? Sitting still and yeah. being silent. Like yeah. that doesn't benefit our organization. And then finally, I got a breakthrough and this big consulting firm called Accenture gave me a job. I'm so grateful and thankful for because it meant I could start earning something and start yeah. you know, getting out of my parents' apartment. I mean, home. Did you like it? I wouldn't say I liked it, but I would say it was a great reintroduction into real the real world. Right. So like they do this networking event when you join and the networking event was pizza making. And, I was, and, and it was pizza making and drinks, right? It was like a, one of these corporate networking things. I was like, what am I going to talk about while pizza making? Like, I was like, like what do I do? Yeah, because I was like, what do I talk about? Like I hadn't done small talk right. for three years. And so you I don't turned, small talk with the monks. You don't really small talk. Like you're not like, how's the weekend? Yeah, you know, <laughs> same old. <laughs> That's like, it's just not the conversation. Yeah. You basically only talk about like huh. philosophical ideas oh, or day-to-day -day wow. chores or meaningful things. Like you're not so really- So were you the weird guy at the beginning? I felt like that, mm. but you know, I, I found another weird guy and then had a chat. And, <laughs> you know, thankfully I found some really good friends at the company. I- what, what, what I liked about the company is they were really focusing on mental health at the time as well. Mm. And that was where I got to share my meditation practices. And so actually the first places in the real world that I started sharing what I'd learned as a monk was at Accenture. So I would do these mini sessions with groups of whoever wanted to learn in my colleagues about mental health and mindfulness. And so I would teach two or three people. And then I was invited to do one of our summer events at the company. So I was invited on stage to teach meditation to nearly a thousand people were colleagues of mine at the company and everyone loved it. And that gave me so much confidence that what I'd learned had value mm. and that it had a place in the real world. And that's, so I, I'm very grateful to the company because I don't think I would have had the confidence to do what I do today if I hadn't seen that. Yeah, that it has a place. That it has a place and it has a purpose and yeah. it has a use and that people need it. So tell us how you got from that to social media. So I was at Accenture, I was doing all these sessions and I was starting to see the impact on people around me. And I was thinking to myself, I can't just do this just for my colleagues. I have to do this beyond. And I was doing a little event in London that I set up on a Friday night where I'd invite anyone that I knew. I'd put up little posters and flyers around town. And maybe if I was lucky, 10 to 15 people would come and I'd give sessions on meditation and philosophy and all the stuff I do today. But I was just happy that I was doing it. But I got to a point where I was like, this should reach more people. Mm. Obviously, it's helping people, but I would like it to reach more people. And so I started pitching a video idea to media companies in London. And I was like, I don't care what you pay me. I'll start for free. I just want to make videos if you'd put these out there to help the world understand med meditation and mindfulness. And all of them said to me, Jay, you're too old to be in media. I was 28 years old. They said, you're too late. You know, you should have started a long time ago. Everyone who's starting is 21 years old or 18 or 16 I had people say to me, I had no experience in communication. Wait, I have a question. Did you not know at the time that you could just put it out there? I you thought you needed like a I, bigger... I thought I needed a platform mm -hmm. or a media company to give me a moment to have that exposure. Yeah. And so I ended up at a TV... I was told by a lot of people, you don't have the skills because you haven't got a communications background or you don't have a qualification in what you want to do. And so I ended up at a TV presenting workshop in London run for ethnic minorities, you know, people of color. And so I end up in this room probably around this size and there's five or six brown and black people in the room and they're teaching us how to present. And so I went there to see, maybe I need to develop some skills. 
So I went there and at the end of it, they were like, Jay, you've got some really good skills. Like you could do this. And I was like, okay, give me a job in media. And they were like, there's no jobs in media. And so I was like, all right, thanks for inviting five to six brown and black people in here to tell us there's no jobs <laughs> in media. And they said, well, you should start a YouTube channel. Mm. And my reaction was, yes, that only works for Justin Bieber. Like that's going to work. Do you know what's so freaking funny? What? I have to tell you. Go on. In my notes, I literally wrote, you started a YouTube. You're like the Justin Bieber of gurus. I literally wow. said Justin Bieber because like, <laughs> yeah, that's what we think. Like, oh, Justin Bieber went on YouTube, got discovered by, was it Usher? Yeah, it was Usher, Usher. And then, yeah, Scooter Braun. And everyone so that's else, what yeah. you think of it. Okay, so you had the same thought. You were like, yeah, let me just do that. Well, no, I, I ended up in a position where I didn't have any other options. Like I'd been rejected by 10 media companies. Three media execs told me I was too old, underqualified or too late. And so I ended up in a position where if I didn't go to YouTube, I didn't have a shot left. Yeah. So it was the last shot or the last opportunity. And because I cared about what I was doing, I turned to social media. So I never actually came to social media thinking that this was going to be the holy grail. I came to it because I didn't know any other way to share my message. Yeah. So that's how I started. So you started media. the YouTube channel. I started a YouTube channel. Before, any, before Instagram. Before, before everything. YouTube was the first platform that I started on. And it was eight years ago in January that I uploaded my first ever video. Did you get, was your first video like amateur? Did you do it or did you so, hire people? So I have a friend who used to shoot weddings or still shoots weddings in, in England, in London. And I reached out to him and I'd said to him, I said, dude, can you come help me out and just shoot me? Because I have no idea how to operate a camera. So he said, sure, I'll do it. So he did me a favor. And then I'd scribbled down some scripts and thoughts and ideas and things that I had. And then I freestyled these four videos that we shot that day. And then I taught myself how to edit because I couldn't pay an editor. I didn't have enough money for that. And so I taught myself how to edit, which took forever. And then I put out my first ever video. Yeah. And I was just so excited to put it out there. And it, you know, did like a hundred views or whatever it was, yeah. but it was the best moment. I still remember it. I was yeah. over the moon. So how did it grow? So I kept doing this every week and my friends were the people that were like, Jay, this you know, you talk too fast in the videos or the music's too loud or the B-roll's not edited quite right. I was getting a lot of like... I have to go back and look at the first video. Yeah, go back and look <laughs> at them. I, I personally think, I actually prefer them to some of the stuff. Oh, I love yeah? them, yeah. There's some really fun stuff that we were doing and there was, a, there, was, there was a beauty to them for sure. And I was getting all this feedback from the people closest to me, but there were other people who were commenting on it. There were other people who were reaching out saying, Jay, I love what you've started. Well done. Like, it wasn't big, but I could feel the energy. And then what happened was my exec, an exec at Accenture, the company that I was working for, she showed it to Ariana Huffington at Davos. And so they were at Davos together. I was not there. And she said, look what one of our employees is doing. And Ariana Huffington saw it and she loved it. And so she sent two who are now two of my closest friends, Danny Shea and Dan Katz, who are her, her team to come and meet me in London. And so they came to meet me in London. And I went to that meeting fully prepared. And I was like, Danny, give me a job. I need a job. I want to do this full time. I'll take anything. This is what I want to do with my life. And he was like, slow down. <laughs> he was like, we're going to put your videos out on the Huffington Post page. We're not going to pay you. And we're going to see how it goes. And I said, great, go for it. So they put out the first video. The first video did a million views in seven days. They were like, that's okay. The second video to you that was probably I mean, to that's me wild. it changed my life. Right, like it was like this is unbelievable. Right. The videos only got a thousand views. Yeah, and HuffPost at that time had like six million followers on Facebook. So this was on Facebook. So they put out the first video. Video it did about a million views. They put out the second video. It did a million views in twenty four hours. They put out the third video. It did another million views in like sixteen hours. And then those four videos that I'd made that they put out collectively did like a hundred to two hundred million views across wow. different platforms and channels. And that moment completely transformed my life. And then I begged. And you went viral bef before there was, I mean, this is what, 20 2016. So no, you'd already had the original YouTube era. So you'd had the Tyler Oakley's, you'd had the Lily Sings. Mm. You'd had that original YouTube generation mm -hmm. of Logan Paul, like 2011, 2012. Yeah. Probably I think was their era. So you'd had that. Uh -huh. But this was almost the rise of Facebook at the time, which hadn't happened. The new, what the we new, know yeah. now as social yeah. media. Yeah. And so... That was 2016 and it was a moment where I then begged and bugged Danny every day saying, Danny, you've got to give me a shot. Like, obviously this must be proof that 
Yeah. I should get well, to do duh. This. And so I sent him an email every single day for 30 days and said, Danny, I'm not going to stop messaging you until you figure out how I can do this. Yeah. And Danny finally offered me a position in New York City working at HuffPost in 2016. Helped me get my visa, not a green card. Helped me get my visa. And then I moved over to New York, September 2016. And worked at Huffington Post. I worked at HuffPost for six doing months. Doing that. Doing those doing kinds that. of videos. Yeah, so I did that. And then I had a daily Facebook Live show. This is when Facebook Live was the thing. Yeah. I had a daily Facebook Live show called Follow the Reader, where I would interview authors yeah. that I loved. And so I would interview writers. Wow. I loved it. It was one of my favorite things. I did that for six months. And then we parted ways so that I could carry on doing it for myself. But while you were doing this, your personal stuff was probably growing on hold well my personal oh. stuff was on hold oh it was on hold because all my content was made oh. for the platform so only when you left you could really focus Correct. on that yeah so 2017 march was when i left and that's when i started focusing on myself and you moving to california no so i was still in new york at the time moved to la july 2018 did you ever have the dream though of like la celebrities limelight like or was that just kind of part of this passion I didn't even believe it I mean I don't think I don't think that I I had a fascination with people's stories so yes did I if you see my early videos I'm quoting celebrities that I've now interviewed on the show That's which wild. is like this weird 360 like moment I had quotes from I'm trying to remember now who I would have I would have quoted Oprah for sure I was right. a huge fan of Oprah when I started out I think the Oprah show was huge inspiration for me mm. and I've said that to Oprah when I got to interview her on On Purpose I said to her that I think a lot of what I do today is subconsciously inspired by the work she did. Yeah. So I think that was there subconsciously, this idea right. of I would love to sit and study the minds of phenomenal people. I had a video dedicated to Steve Jobs, obviously. I'm, I would love to be friends with Steve Jobs, but that's not possible. But th there was just videos that I was where I was talking about these people. So definitely there was a feeling of I'd love to learn about these people's lives and how they got there and what goes through their mind. I know. And now, I mean, look at you. Interviewed everybody. Michelle Obama was quite recent. Yes. Oprah, Selena Gomez. It's surreal. It's surreal. I mean, you, I mean, I can say the same about you too. It's, it's surreal. It's like, I'm sure you feel that way. I know that I still pinch myself. Yeah. I know that I still get anxious and nervous. I know that I'm so grateful for it. And I, and I know that it's, it's brilliant and beautiful. And I hope that it gives a feeling of opportunity and, excitement for everyone thinking wow you can figure it out mm. you you can do it and and your path and way may not look like either of ours or any of ours but there is a way to get to doing things that are really cool and that you love and you know i've i've felt felt honored to sit down with the people that i've had and got to know right. them that deeply and intimately and so yeah. when you have them on your show what's like the most interesting part of the human? Like, what are you trying to find out when you sit with them? Oh, great Because you have such a, I mean, you have a niche, you know, kind of approach to things. Yeah. So what are you trying to get to in their core? I'm trying to get to the core of the human that we don't often get to see or they don't get to share because often a lot of what everyone has to do is perform, show up, play a role, a product, whatever it may be. And I'm like, if we can get beneath that, and beyond that, who is the soul? Who is the heart? What is the essence of that being? That's what I'm trying to tap into. Yeah. And I love the mining process. I love the, I was just describing someone to someone this morning, this idea of how I'm looking at, I think all of us have a mirror when we start our lives and then every experience we have almost adds a crack to that mirror. So your parents, your background, the school you went to, what someone said to you when you were young, your first boss, your first love, your first heartbreak. And all of a sudden you have a mirror with lots of cracks in it. I'm trying to get to that and, mm. and understand how those cracks were created and formed and how that person's perspective has evolved. Do you think they're ever nervous to come on your show because it is so like deep and not you know, not surface level? Like a Yeah, lot of I, I think what I've learned and I've, I've really made peace with this because when we started the show, no one could come on the show. Like no one wanted to come on the show because the show didn't exist. You know, no one really knew about the show. So it was so hard to get anyone to come right. on the show. Now what I've realized is people come on when it's right for them to open up. Mm. And so I trust that if someone doesn't come on my show, I'm not offended. I'm not upset. 
I have no judgment. I'm happy for anyone to do whatever show is right for them because I feel our show creates a particular That's what I meant opportunity for someone. Yeah. And I want someone to come on when they feel comfortable going there and not because they're being forced there because that's definitely not who I am. Right. So I only want someone to come on when they feel that they can trust, that they can share that part of themselves and they want to. And I feel like a lot of celebrities, you know, speaking of purpose, are looking for a bigger purpose, right? Yes. We see so many celebrities, you know, joining religion later in life or 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 whatever it is. Yeah. But because they have this crazy thing and yes. this dopamine from living this crazy life and they're searching for the purpose. So they're attracted to you, I feel like, in that way. Like they do look to you. Sean Mendes, I know. He, Sean's a dear friend. I he love did Sean. that live with you for yeah. your book. Yeah. I remember seeing yeah. it and I was like, oh. That's Sean is, yeah, I've been, we've been friends for, I don't know, like, Three years now. He's the sweetest human I know. He's the most lovable. He person. really does yeah. seem like the he is. He's person. everything and more. He's oh amazing. yeah, yeah. He's amazing. I love so him. How do those relationships usually start? Do they see On, your honestly, videos? Honestly, it and... will be like if I if I see someone connecting with my work. First of all, I'm like, no way does this person connect with it my still work. Excites you? Yeah, hundred percent. And my instant reaction is to message them and thank them mm. because I can't believe it. Right? Yeah. I'm like, I can't believe this person follows my work. And so I'll, I'll message and just say, thank you. And I appreciate it. And, and if I know something about them or love something about them. And so I must have DM Sean like years before he even followed me because he'd made a song that really resonated with me. And Which I, one? In My Blood. Like that, that song was just, I thought it was really powerful. Yeah. And I'd, I'd message him about it. And he didn't see that DM for three years or it's, something. Yeah, I mean, DMs, they get lost. Yeah, he hadn't seen it for three years, but then he'd come across Think Like a Monk. Oh. And so he checked his DMs and seen I DM'd him three years oh. ago. And then we connected over connected. that. And so I found that that's happened often where either someone's DM me or I've DM them and then we discover it. Mm -hmm. And so all of it has happened really organically. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I spoke about this with Kendall Jenner. Like, so Kendall and I bumped into each other at a mutual friend's birthday party and I'd connected with her and I'd seen her talk about mental health for years and right. well-being. And, and I loved that she was using her platform to do that. And so after seeing her at that party, I just messaged her and I said, Kendall, look, like, I was too nervous to ask you at the party, but I would love to have that conversation with you. And she was like, Jay, are you kidding me? I'd love to do that with you. Yeah. And so, you know, it was just this, it's just truly really organic and vulnerable because I'm putting myself out there and I'm okay with how long it takes yeah. and, and whatever it takes. I agree. And I think that because we talked about your, the particular way that you interview, like for somebody, there are some people who would, you know, have it intimidate them because they don't want to go there. And then somebody like Kendall Jenner, I feel like that's an interview where she would be more comfortable, you know, Yeah, I mean, because she would love, you know, she's very into that stuff. And she's so thoughtful and reflective. And I love that she shared what she did on the interview on the podcast, because I think people hadn't really seen that side, seen that side. And I was so grateful to have that opportunity. Yeah, she's awesome. And you officiated JLo and Ben's wedding. Yes. Yeah. How did that happen? So JLo and I had been connecting over the years. And so she came on the podcast early on. I, I'm trying to remember. It must have been 2020, the year she came on the podcast in January, I think it was. And so I'd interviewed her. We'd got connected. We really got along. It went really, really well. And then she would kept inviting me to events, movie premieres. And then she invited me to officiate four weddings as part of her Marry Me musical show in L.A., and so we officiated weddings of people that oh, she'd wow. brought together. And it was her, myself, and Maluma. They were the witnesses and I was officiating. And so we'd been developing this relationship over time, talking offline, messaging. And then when she asked me to do this, I was completely... I mean, when anyone asks you to come to their wedding, let alone officiate, it's, it's the most humbling... nerve-wracking, Nerve-wracking. <laughs> yeah. And I remember practicing the ceremony to my wife a couple of days before and my wife was just like no you can't say that no nope, <laughs> no nope, it needs to it needs to be better than that and this is benefer okay yes. 2.0 yeah and like 20 years of like you know the history of yeah. it and i was just like wow i'm not qualified for this like this is that's why hard work and even on the day when i was standing there and you know it's like for me come on i grew up in i grew up in london like we i loved movies growing up I'm at a movie set, like in one sense, but at the same time, it's not, it's real. Yeah. So you're toggling this, it's like Ben's standing right next to me. We just had a conversation before we walked to the altar and now we're both standing there and- It's still surreal. It's surreal. Well, you know, Jennifer Lopez is walking down in her dress and everyone's like breaking down and crying and then Ben sheds a tear and then I'm just going, don't cry, dude, not now. I love love. I'm a romantic, I'm, yeah. a, sop I'm a soppy guy. Like I'm like, 
standing there going, just don't cry. Like if you break down, then this whole thing's going to go. And then they're both there. I'm checking in, but they're okay. And then Jen looks at me and goes, she goes, it's your turn now. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. Oh I'm trying God. to get myself together. And it was, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was magic. It was really magical. And I'm glad I didn't cry. And you did Vanessa Hudgens recently. Yeah. So that was really, really special. So, so Vanessa, I met because, so Joe Jonas, who became a dear, dear friend during the pandemic, Joe set up a weekly Zoom meditation and community that I would teach and he would lead for all of his friends during the pandemic. And so this would be a Zoom of maybe 20, 20 to 25 people that were Joe's invites. And he would ask me to lead a meditation. And it was beyond meditation. I'd lead a meditation, but then after that, everyone would open their heart. People they'd lost, struggles they were going through, challenges. Some of them were nurses, doctors. Some of them were in the entertainment industry. Some of them couldn't work anymore because they couldn't tour or travel. People would pour their hearts out. And Joe, again, is one of the nicest guys and is surrounded by a beautiful group of people. And so we'd be doing that. For, we did that for 75 weeks. What? So it was deep. It was really deep. Joe's, Joe was doing the deep work. And we did that for 75 weeks. And one of the people that he'd invited was Alex Ship. So I don't know if you know Alex. She was in the new Barbie movie. She's fantastic. Great actress. And she's friends with Vanessa. So she'd invite Vanessa. So the group was starting to grow kind of randomly. And so Vanessa came to the group. And there was a text thread beyond the group between all of everyone who was on the group, but I wasn't invited to this because I guess it was a bit more frivolous and Joe wanted to keep it a bit that way. And, and what people think that you're like too serious? No, 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 no. I, I think that Joe wanted to spare me the, like, the, yeah, the, the silliness, although I love it. Yeah, like no, that's in. what I'm, because yeah, you know, yeah. I was thinking about you in that way. I want you to finish yeah. the Vanessa story yeah. and I know we're almost, we're, yeah. we're, there's so much more to ask Sorry, I'm t am I talking for too long? That's no, all done. Yeah, it's all your fault. Sorry, it's my fault. You know, you're like this wellness I, I call you guru in my mind. I hope that's okay. Like that you have so much to teach. You have so much wisdom, so much knowledge. But that pressure of like, you know, people th thinking they can't expose you to silliness, you know? Yeah. Are I, you ever like, hey, I can't, I'm not, because yeah. you, know, you said before too, like we're not just one thing. Totally. You're not just somebody who was a monk or somebody yeah, yeah. that meditates or, I mean, you can let loose, right? Yeah, yeah totally, totally. <laughs> and, and I think it's needed and I, I actually think that's what the monks were like. Like the monks are some of the most childlike, humorous people in the world. Like if you meet a monk who's been a monk for like three decades, I promise you, you will crack up because they have such a childlike energy about them. And mm -hmm. so it's part of being spiritual and well as well. Like laughing is the best medicine, right? I mean, that's yeah. been said for years and my wife is completely all about wellness, but she's one of the funniest people yeah. I've ever known in my life. So I think laughing is good. And, and yes, I agree. I think sometimes people think I'm quite serious and I like to break that bubble early because I want people to recognize people can be themselves around me too. Yeah. Like, I'm not putting up this pressure where everyone has to act a certain way around me. But anyway, Cole Tuck, baseball player, met Vanessa Hudgens on that group chat. Wow. And so that's how they met. And so they met each other and locked eyes for the first time on a Zoom meditation that me and Joe were leading. Damn. And so Vanessa and Colin invited me to officiate their beautiful wedding this year. Damn. And it was, I got to tell this story and, and a bunch more and it was, it was really special. Wow. Uh, and they're such a wonderful couple and they've really, really found love. It's spectacular. So you're also a wedding officiator. That is now a new thing. And before that- <laughs> did you that, get like ordained? Like, would you I had to do like, now you just do an online test. Mm. And different states have different rules. So I've also done it in places where you don't need to have anything. But then the person who kicked it off was Lily Collins. So Lily was the first person I ever did a year oh, before. Oh, wow. Before Jennifer Lopez's Charlie and Lily and one of my favorite couples of all oh, time. Oh, wow. So, yeah, really special couple. Jay, you're special. <laughs> I'm, I'm just grateful. You're and... special. Thank you. You're no, special. No, you're special. For, you're, for real. No. Thank you for coming oh, on. Thank you. This Thanks was for so me. special to me. I could talk to you forever. I mean, this is, we're on page three. And there was so much <laughs> I'm sorry more. if I went on and on. No, but I you apologize. have such an interesting life and such an interesting story. And you're inspiring to so many. So kind. I'm, I'm touched. And honestly, you coming to my show last year meant the world to me. It really, really did. I think what you've built and the platform you have is phenomenal. Thank you. I'm a huge fan. I Thank love following you. you. I love laughing with you. I love learning with you. I'm like exposed to everything that I want to know about, about pop culture through <laughs> you. And like, you're my go-to. Oh, thank you. And so, no, thank you. And, and thank I'm you for honored. always being so wonderful in person. Like, I think we bumped into each other at the People's Choice Awards right. a couple of years you back. You were so well-dressed, damn. And, and no, but so were you. And, and I was just, 
you were just so sweet and kind and humble and wonderful. And I, and I was blown away. Like I, I was so touched. So oh my God. thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. That I means mean so it. much I really to me. Mean it. I really mean it. Thank you. Yeah, thank Aww. you. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Not Skinny But Not Fat. Follow me on Instagram at Not Skinny But Not Fat. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. Rate the podcast that you love so much on Apple Podcasts and write a little review. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next Tuesday. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.